and we're back. And today I'm talking to Erica. So tell a listener <laughs> about yourself, Erica. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my name is Erica Oldie. I'm a film producer and I'm the CEO of Black Bicycle Entertainment. Um, we do mostly projects for female audiences and work with a lot of very talented female filmmakers, not exclusively, but we, we do like them. And so we work with them quite often. All right. And I met you through a friend, the old fashioned way, not through <laughs> social media or through any other kind of internet creeping. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, my friend Martin, who's a recruiter who also does a webcomic, who's also interested in music production, is works with somebody who you work with, Cherry. Cherry, yes. She's super great. I like her. Yeah, super enthusiastic. She's a big fan. I can practically yeah. feel the exclamation marks in every communication she sends about you. <laughs> yeah. she's well um she was here over the weekend and we had a, a really good time it was it was fun to to spend some time with her out in LA oh right yeah she's probably just happy to get away from the sometime-ish weather we're having <laughs> yeah. yeah in LA it's, it's interesting because we we sort of make the joke that oh we're over this dry hot weather <laughs> people are like oh dry hot weather yes <laughs> that's perfect like, no, no. <laughs> and in the internet creeping I noticed you're a Windsor kid I am I am from Windsor Ontario so I went to university there and I had arguably the four best and or worst years of my life depending on if you're thinking of the state of my liver or <laughs> The fun I had and friends I made. So in terms of uh, where you were, I guess you were a townie if you grew up there. Uh, Do you feel comfortable sharing what high school you went to? You know, I was actually homeschooled of the time. So I was a little, it was a little of an unorthodox upbringing. I traveled a lot. I was homeschooled um, and I had friends that we lived in a little town called Stony Point, which is sort of near Tilbury, if you know your um, <laughs> sort of outskirts geography. <laughs> and so it was, it was a bit, it was a bit isolating if if you were obviously looking at it from a you know teenage from sort of elementary school perspective. Um, and actually, that I think is part of what got me so heavy into film. There wasn't. The good news and the bad news is there wasn't a whole lot else to do. <laughs> so did you, you did you ever go to the art house uh, Windsor Film Theater? I believe it was called. I think it was right on oh. uh, Wyandotte. Mm-hmm. Yeah, across from the guy that took out my wisdom teeth, I think, and the Dragons Inn Chinese restaurant. And I would go and get food at the Dragons Inn and bring it into the Windsor Film Theater. And half the seats were busted, but they were the only place that had like art films. Yeah. No, um, it's it's interesting. I like going to theaters that people wouldn't normally go to. Um, I I have to say, for me to go to see like general larger release films, I do go to the IPIC, which is in Westwood here in LA, and it's got you know reclining seats and blankets and like actual food, and I'm just like, wow, this is really nice. <laughs> But there's also a theater that shows the Rocky Horror Picture Show 
all the time in LA. And I absolutely think that, you know, those theaters are way more, there's some, there's something more nostalgic about them actually. And I think it's, it's sort of an, it's an ode to, I think what cinema was when we were growing up and things have changed drastically. Things have, you know, with social media and everything, I feel kind of like an old person <laughs> because I, I, I had to, I actually had to ask Cherry, like what the buttons do on my on Instagram. <laughs> and I was like pressing all different ones. And I'm just like, I, I'm just like looking at all uh, the, of the ads and even trailers for my movies. And I'm just like, this is just not what I grew up knowing. And it's kind of crazy to aspire to be in an industry and then you're in it and your sort of touchstones for knowledge are what you knew of as like put a DVD in and you see the four previews for the next upcoming movies that relate to that film and, you know, it doesn't work like that anymore. And so the media strategies and everything for films are completely different. And so I think sometimes it's nice to, to go back and actually be in a theater where maybe the popcorn sucks a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm sticking to something on the chair. I don't know. Maybe yeah. the, the floor makes that sound on your sneakers that like, like, you know, they haven't cleaned that floor in a minute and they're not going to clean it tomorrow, but it's a more yeah. kind of living experience. Yeah, you still have that at the Royal here in Toronto if you're coming back for the festival. Are you coming back for the festival? I am. I will be in Toronto for the festival. We have our film Woman Walks Ahead in Toronto. All right. That sounds like a perfect segue. So Mm -hmm. that's your big film that got uh, accepted so far. I mean, you have other stuff that's incompleted but not yet released status, so who knows? Uh, But... Mm -hmm. Woman Walks Ahead is the big one. You have the Chastain in it. Yes, Miss Chastain. That's exciting. It's interesting because, you know, when you have, like, if it's a true narrative book, like, say, something like A Twilight or, you know, A Hunger Games or something like that, that has a story and very clear protagonists that the fan base of that book force you to stay on a certain path. That's a really nice way of saying people lose their freaking minds if they think you deviated from any point, (laughs) casting, plot, or otherwise. Yeah. Um, But when you have something that is nonfiction, that is, you know, based on historical retellings or, like, research of any kind, you are going by only what you know to be of the research you've done, which you can argue is incomplete and complete. You know, it's, it's never, you're never going to, I think, get it 100% perfect. And when it comes to, you know, when it comes to, you know, nonfiction and just working off of research, that research is all obviously limited to a certain pool as well. And so you're always going to get exceptions to the rule. But the point of that is the generalization. And if you think about it too, 
most stories are based on generalizations and stereotypes. The whole point of telling a story that, especially in the comedic space, is you take stuff to the extreme, and which is what makes it comedic and, and obviously funny and everything. And so it's, it's interesting. I actually like working on working from underlying material that isn't so penned in, in terms of plot, which is why the female brain I thought was so great. And why this other nonfiction book I think is going to be even better is you just can work from so many different points of reference and and you can create the stories from all different facts. And also the writers that you choose to work with are going to also, I hope, enjoy the freedom of imagination and not feel like they have to adapt something and stick within certain boundaries because part of writing is creating and using their own skills and imagination. And so that's another thing about it that I think is, is kind of cool. And, you know, back to your original point, it it is a little bit safer in that while you may have uh, research historians or other people who may jump on a plot point and say, well, it couldn't have happened like that, or that's anachronistic, or, but you don't have the same level of zealotry that you would have with a fictional adaptation. But then people can use other resources to build out the world that the film is described and displayed in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, to take it back up to a little <laughs> more of a fun place, uh, when you found out that the film was accepted for the festival, uh, yes. where were you? That's like your Oscar award nominee question. <laughs> I, it's interesting. I remember this like it was yesterday because I think I was even surprised at how excited I was. Um, I was in my living room and <laughs> this sounds funny. There, this might be weird, but my my cat was sitting on the um, coffee table. What's staring. your What's your cat's name? My cat's name is Gilmore, <laughs> as in happy. <laughs> He's a happy Gilmore. Oh. <laughs> He's a good boy. Um, I don't know what kind of cat he is, but he, he seems to be a mix between a tabby and. Um, a Bengal, I want to say, because oh. his tail looks like a Bengal tail, but he, the rest of him is completely white. <laughs> so, so like kind of like a sexy Garfield, but not orange. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, and he has like a little patch going on, on his, on the top of his head. So he's, he's, yeah, he's pretty chill. Um, but he doesn't act like any other cat. Like he enjoys people and he talks more than anyone, any other cat you'll ever meet. Um, so he was staring at me and he looked like he was about to like leap off of the coffee table and like attack me until I realized that there was a fly on the wall behind me. And so he leapt past me to get the the fly. Um, There's a point to this, I promise. But in doing so, um, he sort of knocked my phone over that was on the table. And when I picked it up, I got, I saw an email ping from our, (laughs) from our sales agent saying we got into Toronto. And I was like, yes. (laughs) 
I just know that Gilmore had something to do with that. <laughs> wow. Um, and so I called immediately. And the thing that is really exciting about Toronto is we also have um, a gala premiere um, as well. So we'll be, um, we'll be on the Sunday night at TIFF, and I am extremely excited about that. And so that's huge for us. And I remember calling um, the director, Susanna, Susanna White, and we were, she had found out we'd gotten into Toronto and I was literally jumping up and down and I was so excited. And I think even she was sort of like, oh my God, I've never seen Erica more excited in my entire life. (laughs) And then I was thinking, what am I going to (laughs) wear? Oh my God. I was trying to avoid the typical, you know, lady stuff as well, but I got to say as somebody who goes to the festival a lot, I do see and understand why when people have a film, especially a gala screening, sometimes you end up having two that first night. I've seen people do costume changes even between intros so that they, you know, it's like the up and down. There's usually some sort of press thing before um they might be shuttling you depending on the number of screenings in between theaters so i would say regardless of the what just make sure that you have a costume change a shoe change like (laughs) and like a shoe that you'd be okay with being seen in if you don't get a chance to get back to your bag so like a fun sparkly sneaker or something that could go with your nice outfit just in case you end up running out of time and going on stage in your shoes and not your like lady shoes that go with your dress. Yeah. Cause yeah. all of the, the top level programmers, your Jane shuttles and whatnot, they have clearly an attendant that's there. Like sometimes Jane will come in the intro in her pumps, especially in the first three days. But by the time she's back for the Q and a, she's back in her, what looks like a fancy uh, driving moccasin or sort of a slip on shoe. Or, or even just like a, a thong kind of sandal, like a fancy leather one step up from a flip-flop. It's a lot of up and down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tons. Yeah. So Tons. just for your own safety. And if you're a gal, uh, depending on which theater you're in, there could be a lot of walking just to get from where they offboard talent to the stage. Oh, 100%. It's it's definitely going to be interesting. It's And it's weird sort of being totally different during the day. Um, because like during the day you're like someone who is like, you're, you're always a part of the industry, but like you got your jeans on and like you're got your badge in front of you and you're just like walking to and from places going from meeting to meeting. And like, you're constantly running five or 10 minutes late. (laughs) And then you go home for an hour, hopefully sleep for about 10 minutes. And then you become like, a different human being. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're, you know, just like you've done something to your teeth, you've done something to your face, you know, and you're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's, it's to- two totally different worlds. I sort of akin it to like set life versus like premiere life. It's completely different. And people all the time are like, oh gosh, making a movie must be so glamorous. And you're like, yeah, sure. You're sitting, you're sitting on set for like three months in a place that is 
not your home, <laughs> that you've gone to capture a tax incentive to film in, and there are bugs, and you're shooting nights, and it is either cold or too hot, or we found a tarantula on the side of the road one time when we were filming. <laughs> and so it's just, yeah, you know, it's totally glamorous. Yeah, it sounds amazing. You're really... <laughs> I, I hope this isn't kind of the narrative that you used to talk about the world of film to the ladies at the film school that you work with. You're like, yeah, worst job ever. <laughs> no, it's it's the it's definitely the humorous aspect of it. Yeah, um, the best thing, and and one of the reasons why I like being around as much as I can for filming is really because the magic is in the first day you're on set and something that you've only read in black and white and you've worked on and imagined in so many different scenarios in your head, how it would actually be. And then you literally see the first, the first image come up on the screen and it's literally come to life after working on it for a year five years, 10 years, whatever it is in development. And that moment, that exact moment is to me what making a movie is all about. You're bringing things that are two dimensional, one dimensional to life. And that's pretty cool. That's amazing. Mm hmm. It's, and it's, you know, there's so many different capacities that come into that moment and so many different roles and so many different people and so many different points of view. And that's definitely what I say to the students that go to film school um, when we, when we meet with them and talk with them. And so it's, it's exciting. So we how excited were they for you when they found out about this film getting into Toronto? Oh gosh, I haven't. Um, I, they'll they'll know just because of the lineup that was in the newspaper, but I haven't seen them since um, our last semester finished, um, which was end of last year, and we've reorganized um, the program from being just a speaker series for girls of the school and that's now been open to the entire school and the second part of the iris in program which is the name of the program that i have with them is we've now um, selected five female students to come into black bicycle and be mentored and they'll do the mentorship and once the mentorship is completed with us we will then place them in internships within the industry, depending on what area they want to focus on. And my goal was to always get them to have the most practical experience that they could, because, you know, one of the things that I was asked all the time when starting out in the business was, had you been to film school? And I had not been to film school. I have a marketing degree, <laughs> which <laughs> serves me well in the oddest of times. Um, but the response I got quite often was, well, you don't need to go to film school. 
And I thought to myself, well, that's great, but why ever not? (laughs) Just out of curiosity. And one person said to me, well, if you're lucky, you learn how to make a film. Just from a pure theory on the ground, how to make a film in the physical way. You don't learn anything about how the business actually runs and what people do on a day-to-day basis in their capacity, whatever that be, producer, filmmaker, like what they actually do all day. And I thought, well, that's that's a little screwed up. <laughs> I, well, and I just thought, you know, I, I sort of... I am OCD enough to the point where I would actually like to be prepared with that stuff going in, you know, because I think a lot of people might change their position in film, depending on what that truly is, you know? And so one of my goals was with the students was to make sure that people came in and talked to them about what the practicalities of their everyday life were. And so I, th- you know, we all thought together collectively had a meeting in terms of what can we do better? How can we, you know, get deeper into this program? I definitely um, am, have a goal of spending more and more time with Ghetto Film School and with the students. And one of the things that came up was actually mentoring them, bringing them into the office, having them see what day-to-day actually is. And I think that will give them a true competitive advantage when applying for internships. We also have an internship role at our company, but, you know, we are actually have a, we actually have a goal to change the numbers of females in the film industry by literally inserting more women into grassroots roles. Well, and I think especially with your role, it's one of those roles that can span any part of the kind of creation and realization process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there could be producers that are more um, maybe, say, talent-heavy in their focus, more Mm -hmm. that are more um, business or finance-heavy in their focus, um, more that are maybe uh, nuts and bolts and logistics and there's an element of all of those things I think Mm -hmm. in your job but it's one of the jobs that you know people hear about the most it's very visible but probably the least um, easy to explain in a job description Uh, so I think it's going to be an amazing opportunity for people to come and actually see what you do um, day to day and also to get an idea of if that's the role they want to move into, what kind yeah. of producer they might want to be or where they want to uh, expand uh, more of their education or what other kind of companies they could work at, look for internships at to help you know, beef up their experience in the areas they find that really excite them or that they have already a natural aptitude for. Yeah, agreed. Um, there's so many different roles that go into making a film, obviously both above the line and below the line. And I, I say to, um, the students when I've gone in, in the past to, to talk with them in, in terms of, you know, what actually makes 
makes up a producer? Like what qualities might you not think of when you look at what a producer does? You know, you are the project manager of the entire thing, you know, and you're a friend, you're a leader, you're a parent sometimes, you know, you're a quality control moderator, you're, you know, you have all of these, what I call odd roles that you have to take on. And, you know, also when it comes to the filmmaker, yes, the director is driving the ship. They're the captain of the ship and it's their vision, but you are a glorified assistant what I say is we're glorified assistants to to the director because our job is to facilitate their vision within budget on time. And with all of these other caveats that go along with, with supporting the vision. And, and so it's, it's a very fascinating, fascinating role. And you learn so much about very odd things that you wouldn't otherwise learn about. Like, you know, you learn a lot about horses and you learn (laughs) about fake snow and you learn a lot about, you know, vintage cars and, you know, all of these different things. And have I actually realized that all of that useless information has proven to be useful? (laughs) So it's, it's kind of, you know, and I think that's the other part is you immerse yourself into so many different and unique worlds and it's like you get to pretend to be someone else all the time. And that's kind of cool. And to work with people like, you know, I, I produced a film this year with Nancy Myers called Home Again um, that stars Reese Witherspoon and will come out September 8th. So please go and see it. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, Nancy is someone who has brought a very, a very incredibly both complex and gorgeous aesthetic to all of her films that make it feel larger than life and rich and beautiful. And it was truly spectacular to watch her, you know, work with Hallie and implement, you know, that same quality of design through Hallie's vision. And, you know, when you see, you know, people that have sort of different viewpoints about what is important in their films, what I've learned is all of it is important. It just kind of depends on what story you're trying to tell. You know, um, Susanna, who directed Woman Walks Ahead, you know, she really wanted to tell a powerful story. And I feel like it is a powerful story and I'm so excited for everybody to see it at Toronto, you know, and just, she had a totally different approach and, you know, Whitney had a totally different approach and, you know, Whitney, um, is a comedian. And so she was very, 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 very focused on laughs and, and how everything was working and comedic timing and everything like that. And of course, Susanna would not be focused on comedic timing necessarily because there isn't so much comedy in that film. There is a nuance, but it's not a comedy. And so it's been interesting and eye-opening to see all of these different filmmakers and their approach vary 
but ultimately they're still striving for the best version of their film that they can have. And so it's, it's really cool to see different things and prioritize different things in different worlds. Yeah, I watched the trailer for Home Again, and in ways it kind of, it was a great version, I thought, of all of the things that can happen to um, someone and what they feel, and again, this is just in a trailer, when some major change has happened in their life, and at some point you just decide, instead of you know, trying to control my situation, I'm just going to let it happen and see what evolves out of that. At least that's, you know, what I took away from the trailer. In a way, I sort of noticed a bit of a common thread in some of the projects that you've worked with where regardless of um, the gender of the lead, this is uh, a case where, you know, the story picks up or really kicks off where here's some change that's introduced and then how this person really goes with it. Whether right. it's, you know, well, I mean, a tale of love and darkness, just I'm gorgeous. Just it's Thank you. visual. It's one of those movies. And I, I had this feeling when I first saw um, fifth element years and years ago. And I thought I could just watch this on mute and have a completely uh, full experience without ever hearing a single word. Like there's, but you could see this character sort of moving through environments and how they're changing, but allowing the change to happen. And I think that's what I like about the kinds of films that you see at TIFF. It isn't always um, so kind of genre focused or, you know, all about a main character um, solving a series of puzzles or hitting objectives. And I love those movies too, but. Uh, the emotional journey as you move through the stuff that life throws at you, those mm-hmm. are the films that you definitely get to see more of a tiff, that you get to see more of them with a full, like, packed audience and people really feeling feelings. Mm-hmm. It's like I probably cry more that week than I do any other time. <laughs> so I, I'm looking forward to uh, that uh, tiff this year even more so than other years because of the focus on... Not just, you know, female-produced, led, written works, but because it definitely seems like as they've trimmed down some areas, whether it's number of films and venues, it definitely looks like, at least from some of the early announcements, it's almost going back to more of that storytelling focus Mm -hmm. in the selections. Yes. So I'm super excited. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm equally excited about that. It's, um, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, we're, you know, a company that focuses on films that are predominantly for female audience. Um, And that's really because, you know, I am sort of the ultimate decision maker of what we make. And I really feel like you need to be, you need to have an understanding of the, the genre or genres in which you are choosing to make films in, you need to, you need to watch and want to watch what you want to make. And, you know, the thing that I think makes passion is not that, you know, 
we went into an entertainment or art-based business to make a bunch of money, (laughs) although that would be nice. (laughs) Not that, you know, you've done, you've gone into this to, to be famous or anything like that, because the second you strive for something like that, it's never going to happen. And what you need to do beyond anything else is be passionate about what you're doing. And to me, there is no greater, you know, no greater experience to have every day than to bring stories to life and tell stories. And, and one of the bigger things that I like to do is to bring audiences, different perspectives. You know, I live my life in with the saying, everything in life is all about perspective. I truly believe that, you know, and there's several sides to every story as we see all the time when watching films. And, you know, for me, what I love so much about all of the characters that I've lived with for years really is they're anti-heroic, they're flawed characters, you know, they're not perfect and they are, you know, sort of put like to your point, put in a position that is unique and interesting and they can choose what they do with that because ultimately you choose what you make of every situation. And what I think we have hopefully, you know, started to, to have a pattern of is very strong, independent women that are the authors of their own story and make the most of their journeys. And with home again, you know, this Alice doesn't need to let these young men come and live with her, but she does. And the thing that's powerful about Hallie's story is that the family unit has changed. This is 2017 you know, we decide what our family looks like and we decide how many members of that family are involved in our everyday lives. And really, as long as you're happy, anything goes, you know, and it's kind of back to the, you know, home is where the heart is saying (laughs) your heart can, can be with whomever at any time. And, uh, it's the same thing even with Woman Walks Ahead. You know, I'm excited for everybody to see it because Jessica's character is so strong and powerful. And she just, she really, I think, makes the most of, of her journey. And she she learns a lot as well from, from Sitting Bull. And, you know, it's a, there's a beautiful friendship there that comes to life. And so I'm excited about it. It's just, I think, really interesting to learn about these characters, and we're seeing so many more of them now, like with Hidden Figures or other films, where there are these stories of women who did some really amazing stuff that you didn't hear about before, and through film now, we're actually getting to learn about these um, women who helped, you know, shape history, who helped um, discover, you know, different things, but also just had stories that were as interesting and should have been documented and should have been taught, and Mm -hmm. we shouldn't have had to wait for 
you know, 2017 and watch a movie about it to know that these things happened. Yeah. Unless you're a history major that is like has a focus on women's studies, you wouldn't know any of these stories. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing about being in this business that I think is so fascinating is there are a bunch of stories that you look at all the time, some of which you choose to make, some of which you don't. And it's really interesting to see just to see how much really like whether it's true or not, how much people are fascinating. And I always feel like the true stories are the ones that are, I always find more fascinating. And it's stranger than fiction thing. (laughs) Yeah. I think, uh, in my early twenties, uh, when I first started to go to parties and people started conversations with what do you do versus like, mm-hmm. what are you into or what are you interested in? Mm-hmm. That's when I, you know, started to realize one, that's a really boring conversation to have over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the people who had a story about what had just happened to them or what they just read or what they just watched, those were the conversations that actually made you not need to, you know, drown yourself in cheap beer to get through the evening. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. We there was one. Um, it's interesting. I was with a group of women, um, and it was part of um, a group that meets once a month. And there's always sort of new members that come around, and and it's always there's a discussion that's always on a different topic. But at first, you go around the room, and you have to pick somebody that you don't know. And you have to introduce yourselves to them, but you are not allowed to ask what you do. And do you have any idea how hard that is? Because that literally is the second question that you ask somebody. Hey, what's your name? What do you do? And it's so natural. But the point of that was that we shouldn't be defined by what we do. Um, we should be defined by who we are and what we love and who we love and, and, you know, what our goals are and, and what we strive to do and be. And I thought it was, it was really an interesting exercise that was, I have to say, much harder than I thought. Um, Then we sort of got into, to the stuff closer to, you know, what we're actively learning about and thinking about and, you know. Same things to your point, reading, yeah, everything. Well, I'd say your job family may be one of the last groups of heavily avid readers outside of, you know, the book industry or education due to mm-hmm. the nature of your role. And then also that time you have when you're not project managing, mothering or cat herding on set. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, it's, um, you have to read a lot. You have to constantly be in the know. And not only do you need to read books and be on top of books, but you need to, you need to read, you know, magazines and articles. I read three newspapers a day, which is, which is, a, is a lot, but it's, I read the, the New York times, the Los Angeles times and the wall street journal. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming digital version. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do miss newspapers, but I don't miss the mess or just the 
opening it up and trying to fold it back and all of that. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. just very impractical. The one thing I miss is the smell of the newspapers, though. That that was always nice. Uh, well, when you get your uh, program book for TIFF, that is one of my favorite books to smell. Phrasing. Um, but yeah, like when you first get that program book from TIFF, and I usually open it right up to the middle and just put my nose right in there, there's something about the glue they use for that book. It is, <laughs> there's nothing like that. So. I'm excited for yeah. that. And you'll have the, the extra value add of like opening it up to a page and seeing uh, your film listed in there. I know. This is the first film that I've ever had at TIFF, and I am so overwhelmed by how excited I am, and it's, it's crazy. It's really a trip. And for selecting the image that goes into the program book, that is something I've always wondered about because so many films come and there's all these great shots and moments, but it always seems like for most films, they find that one shot, even for films you end up maybe not liking that much, they find mm-hmm. that one shot that makes it look like the most interesting thing that was ever created. Well, the beauty of picking that shot is really a situation of everybody has to agree. So, when you have, you know, between three and 500 production stills, <laughs> it's automatically narrowed down by, you know, you know, I like what the filmmaker likes, what the producers like, what the actors like and don't like. And, and so thankfully you don't have to choose from <laughs> such a horrendously wide pool. Um, it becomes much more realistic. Um, but it's really, you know, the question really is, is always what is the most powerful image? What image really does say a thousand words? You know, and it's and I think when you live with a project for so long, you really just kind of know what conveys the most of what you want to say. When it comes to something like comedy, it's really what conveys the draw comedically and also what says the most about the story. But when it comes to a drama, it's what I was saying before about how it's so powerful. And and the other thing that I always feel like the first image should always be is, is it should be inspirational and there should be that almost that desire in the photo, if that makes sense. And so that's that's probably the, the what I can sum up as being the way to go about choosing it. Yeah, and definitely the ones I find that are the best is when before I see the film, I really want to see it, and then after I've seen it, mm-hmm. that image then means something else to me. It makes me either laugh again, makes me want to cry again, because it's sort of almost reprocessing the whole film on fast forward through my head and hitting all of those beats all at once with that one image. Mm-hmm. Totally. I was talking to a filmmaker the other day, funnily enough, about you know where to get inspiration for material from. And one of the places was from picture books. They were talking about you know photo books of like, you know, what you can create from in your mind from looking at one image. 
and you really can create a plethora of different stories. And so that's something else that, you know, I think is cool to your point. You can take a look at it and guess what's coming. And then you're always in some way surprised. And then to turn around and look back and, and say, oh, so that was what it was. You know, there's, there, you know, they, the, the trailers, a lot of film trailers that I see, you know, I've found that some say a lot about the story to the point where, you know, sometimes I feel like I can already see what's going to happen in the film. But I, I do, I've never underestimated the power of the tease. I like the power of the tease a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm okay if there's some spoilage as long as I still have at least one or two surprises. But yeah, mm-hmm. I like an idea conveyed without giving me the whole story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're getting close to the end. And before mm-hmm. we go, I just wanted to thank you so much. This was amazing. And also uh, talk again about so your next two projects that people can see soon very soon um yes home again which is directed by hallie myers shire um and produced by myself and nancy myers and that comes out september 8th in theaters um a very cool funny awesome movie please go see it and our film woman walks ahead directed by Susanna white will be in toronto film festival and it stars Jessica Chastain and a native Torontonian, Michael Grayeyes. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super jazzed and totally going to, I probably won't see the gala, gala first screening because uh, I see about 30 movies every year. So, yeah, I don't have the budget to see gala films because then I'd be down to probably 10. But yeah, I'm definitely going to go for the second or third screening. And I actually, I like those sometimes a bit more because uh, you don't have the same amount of late onboarding and offboarding in the theater that you have with the Super Galas where everyone shows up. Yeah, it's like you you get to the show. If there's a QA, and a you're happy. But uh, usually in the first half of the festival, most of my days are three or four movie days. So mm-hmm. if I don't get a Q&A for everything, it's all right because I got to keep it moving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, no, they're not coming. Oh, yeah, I have time to use the bathroom. That's awesome. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. It was well, such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. I'm like, this is honestly the best time of the year for me. It's the time I'm most excited about. I, I started doing this really as a way just to keep things straight and make a list before the festival and after the festival. And it's now become basically my primary acquisition model for making new friends. Uh, I've been in a a lineup once where somebody from uh, the Boston Independent Film Festival recognized my voice, which is so weird because I was like, I don't have that many listeners except during TIFF where I get this like crazy spike. Um, But it it's really something that started off as a way to avoid the question when I go back to work of what did you see and what did you like? I just shoot people a link. It's like, here, listen to the last one where I gave my Mm -hmm. top 10 list. And now it's become one of my primary self-care things to 
uh, have something creative to do that's outside of my day job as a software project manager, which is even less fun, but even more caretaking and cat hurting, I imagine. You know, that to me is really fascinating because I can barely text, so. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's all the same kinds of activities you talked about, just with uh, the output maybe being something that is still consumed by a lot of people that you never meet and you don't really get to take the full kind of ownership of, but you have you know, pride in the pieces where you know that you helped, you know, steer this thing away from an iceberg or keep this thing off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell all my friends, all my movie nerd friends about your film. Uh, We have a kind of drink meetup once a month and we also have one during the festival as well. Uh, Hopefully, if I see your movie in the first half of the festival, then I'll probably end up talking about it on the What I Like So Far cool. episode. Because I'm pretty sure, even just based on how fascinated I am by this woman's story, and I, I can't imagine... I mean, I, I don't think I've ever not liked anything Chastain was in. I mean, I like Coriolanus, and I don't even think I like that Shakespeare play, but I don't know. <laughs> she's fantastic. Yeah, she's beast mode all the time, so I'm sure it'll be great. And I look forward to all the things that you're going to be working on. Thank you. I love your mandate. I love what you're doing. Uh, I love the whole Ghetto Film School project. I spent about 20 minutes uh, on that site just clicking around and then, like, (laughs) in my mind designing, like, fantasy uh, class schedules and programs. So, yeah, it, it just... Everything you're doing just makes me feel hopeful for the world in the future, which is also something we all need right now. That yeah. means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well. I count. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. And see you in Toronto in a few weeks. I will see you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.